Thank you so much, David. It's uh, it's really good to be with you all this evening. Uh, it's a beautiful evening. Sun shining through the window here in Yorkshire, but I understand it is elsewhere as well. God's good. And uh, I feel rather under, underdressed tonight, having looking looking at Roger there. I think I should have put a shirt and tie on uh, for this evening's session, but uh, there you go. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you, because I've got a, a few slides I want to show you uh, this evening. And um, one of the things I want to say right at the very beginning here is that um, we've, we've only got a small amount of time this evening to, to look at this massive subject. And um, uh, ordinarily, um, before I even spoke about how you would uh, witness to Catholics and say certain things to Catholics, we would look at uh, quite in depth at some of the things that they actually believe. Um, we, we can only skim over some of those things and, and maybe some of your questions will ask certain questions that you you have about the, the topic this evening. Um, but I, I want to look at a couple of, of things that I think are just really important for us to get our heads around uh, in order to have a meaningful conversation um, with um, a Roman Catholic. It's great to have Vinny here with us tonight as well, because he's going to be sharing uh, from a personal point of view, being brought up in a Catholic family. And uh, we're going to get his insight as well into into his uh, efforts to reach Roman Catholics. But I'm going to sort of start tonight by uh, saying um, this, because maybe um, that's what some of you are thinking. And that's what some people um, would be thinking when I talk about evangelism to Roman Catholics, because for many um, within the, the Christian community, they wouldn't have a problem with Roman Catholicism. Uh, they might argue that, well, they've got the same doctrine as us. Um, sure, they've got a few things different to us, but but aren't they just Christians? So, so Tony, what's your problem? Why are you even talking about this subject? Well, I'm hoping tonight in, in our brief time together to just sort of unpack that. Why, why, are, we, why are we talking about Roman Catholicism um, tonight? There are many who don't have a problem with Roman Catholicism in terms of believing it's just another Christian church. Um, it seems um, from my sort of uh, looking at this sort of stuff that uh, many people have a love for, for Pope Francis and um, everybody seems to love Francis. He's, he definitely is, is more personable than many popes, uh, certainly in my lifetime. And um, he, he seems to be uh, uh, one who can engage well with, with the, the public and um, with society at large. It's a picture there of Justin Welby at the bottom as well uh, um, in Obviously, they're having a laugh about something, uh, a joke that they've just told each other. Um, so many people think, well, you know, Francis is, is great. And, um, you know, he's, he's brought the, the Catholic Church in a different direction. And uh, I want to think about that this evening a little bit. Uh, there are many within the evangelical world uh, clamoring to have a photo opportunity with the Pope here. I don't know how many people on this um, particular slide you'll recognize uh, most of them would come out of the charismatic Pentecostal um, Word of Faith camp. So you've, you've got Kenneth Copeland uh, down on the right there. You notice the Pope is keeping his eyes open while Kenneth prays over him, uh, probably very wisely. Um, you've got uh, Chris Vallotton from, from Bethel Church in Reading, California. You've got Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, Mike Bickle of IHOP. And the guy in the top left-hand corner, you might not recognize him, but he's a Mormon apostle called Henry B. Eyring. Uh, so lots of people... To meet with the Pope and speak well of him. Um, this is sort of recent news as well. This is Francis Chan. Um, many of you will be familiar with Francis Chan. He uh, has written lots of really good stuff. Really love listening to Francis Chan preach. He's got a real heart for God. Um, but just recently, he spoke at a Catholic gathering, and uh, here we have Catholic priests um, praying for him. And he said this afterwards. Um, which got a little bit of, uh, of mileage on social media. Uh, Francis Chan said this, I didn't know that for the first 1,500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ, Chan remarked. And it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized the thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more. I didn't know that. I thought, wow, that's something to consider. And so that's caused many people to think, wow, is he warming to Catholicism? Is he going to convert to Catholicism? Uh, I've spotted Catholics online saying, let's pray for Francis Chan to join us. 
Um, but that's quite a statement. And I would argue, we're going to have to look at it deeply tonight, that that statement's not true. Um, there are many others as well in recent times. There's a guy called Lou Engel of um, a, a thing called The Call in America, uh, kissing the feet of a Roman Catholic priest. Um, you've got Bill Johnson of, of Bethel in Redding, California, uh, praying here with a, with a Catholic priest for revival in, in Los Angeles. And so the, there's a, a lot of momentum um, within the evangelical community um, and, and a warming towards um, Pope Francis and the Catholic Church. Uh, we have statements like this as well. This is Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said this last year. He said, who cares if you're Protestant or Catholic? This is when asked what he thought about the issue, he responded, who cares? I don't mind about that. I don't mind at all about that. Uh, particularly if people go to Rome, which is such a source of inspiration. I had an email from a very old friend, an Anglican priest, who has decided to go to Rome. I wrote back saying, wonderful. As long as you're following your vocation, you are following Christ. So, again, he sees, makes no distinction between pro Protestantism and, and the Catholic Church. You can just be in either and be pleasing to Christ. Uh, you might not know this guy, but this is a guy called Pastor Andy McQuitty. He said this uh, a number of years ago now, but he still holds this true. I've checked it out um, of Irving Bible Church in Texas. He said the rift that occurred between Catholics and Protestants 500 years ago is theological pettiness. We'll have plenty of time in heaven to figure, figure out who was right about purgatory and Mary. So there's, I, I could show you lots more things as well, where people are, are very happy to um, just see the Catholic Church as a viable alternative, a viable movement within the, the, the Christian church, and you can be part of that as well. Um, but here's a question I, I want to ask as we as we unpack this a little bit this evening, uh, thinking about what the Pastor Andy McQuitty said. Is the disagreements between the Catholic Church and, and the Protestant Church, uh, between Catholics and Christians, is it just theological pettiness? Uh, does it matter? Or, or is it something deeper than that? Is there a different gospel that the Roman Catholic Church are preaching? And I want us to think about that a little bit this evening. You will be aware, if you know anything about church history, of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, back in 2017, um, it's 500 years since Martin Luther uh, pinned the 95 Theses on the door of the church um, in Wittenberg. And uh, right back then in, in 2017, there were, there were many joining together with the Catholic Church declaring the Reformation was over. Um, there'd be many that say, no, it's definitely not over. Uh, that would be my position um, if you were to ask me if I was pushed. But we know that the five solas of the Reformation, the five things upon which the Reformation was built were these. That um, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all, the, all these other guys were preaching that um, it's grace alone, sola gratia, grace alone, faith alone, sola fide, uh, solus Christos, Christ alone. Uh, sola scriptura, um, scripture alone, and sola deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And they, that word alone was really, really important. I noticed that when uh, David Donagani prayed for us uh, at the beginning of our gathering together tonight, he talked about we just want glory to go to you alone, God. And, uh, and the reformers were saying, look, you, these things are vitally important. See, because the Catholic Church don't believe that any of these things are alone. Uh, so, for example, they believe in grace plus merit. Uh, you might have heard that the Catholic Church is often called the plus church. It is faith plus works. It is Christ plus other mediators. It is scripture plus tradition. And it's to the glory of God and Mary and other saints. Now, you might look at that and think, well, surely that's not really true, is it? And, and there'd be lots that would argue against some of those things. But if you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church and what it teaches, all these things are true. That none of these things they believe should be alone. There's no such thing as grace alone or faith alone or scripture alone or Christ alone or to the glory of God alone. No, there are all kinds of other things come into play. And so the Catholic Church um, has... Um, quite a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
uh, quite a system um, in place which when you look at it, you, you actually find that rather than bringing you closer to God actually makes it much, much harder for you to get anywhere near God. Because it's, it's about you. It's about your effort. It's about your works. It's about sacraments. It's about mediators other than Christ. It's about telling them to pray to other people like saints and, and to Mary. Uh, scripture by itself is not enough. And so you find within the, the, the Catholic Church system, actually this um, massive sort of, um, uh, so one of the words, system that, that you need to sort of practice and go through and get, get on board with. And it's, you can't just come to Christ. And so actually, in my mind, it's not just petty differences that we have and petty squabbles that we have with the Catholic Church. Actually, so the Catholic Church gets in the way of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The two big issues, I think, when we think about the Catholic Church and the issues with the Catholic Church are these, the issues of authority and of salvation. Uh, for sure, you can look at um, a statement of faith from the Catholic Church and you'll find that they believe in the, the full deity of Christ, that he was fully God, fully man. Uh, they, they, they believe the Trinity. Um, you know, they, they believe the Bible is the word of God. There's, there are all kinds of things. They'll use words that we use, but they mean different things by them. And so authority and salvation are two key things. I just want us to think about those briefly before we think about talking to a person in the Catholic Church. You see, here we have from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 846 is the number, the entry within the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says this. Speaking about the church is basing itself on scripture and tradition. The council teaches that the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church. He himself explicitly asserted the necessity of faith and baptism and thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church which men enter through baptism as through a door. Hence they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse to enter, either to enter it or to remain in it. Now, there's so much in there that we, we could consider, but just think about some of the things it's saying. The church is necessary for salvation. Now, in Vatican II, back in the 1960s, um, the, the, the council that met together there decided that the Protestant church would no longer be called heretics, but separated brethren. That's so nice of them. And even though they've softened the blow, don't call you a heretic anymore, but call you just separated brethren. They still believe that the church is necessary for salvation and that you need baptism within the Catholic church and you need the sacraments of the Catholic church. And it's through baptism as through a door, it says there, that you need to be saved through the system, which is the Catholic Church. And they can't change these things. You know, some, I have sometimes have Christians say to me, well, the Catholic Church has changed. You know, you're talking about what it was like in the time of the Reformation, but today it's changed. Friends, it's not changed. It can't change. Uh, the, the, that's one thing it can't do. When something has become dogma within the Catholic Church, dogmatized that is that the the, the pope at the time uh, seats making a statement from the chair which they call ex cathedra uh, once he does that and dogmatizes something it remains it can't be overturned and so for the catholic church the authority lies in the pope and in the church itself rather than in christ and what about the bible well, the Bible is just one authority to the Catholic Church. It works its way alongside tradition and the magisterium, the teaching arm of the church. And what, it, what they actually say is rather than sola scriptura, which was the, the cry of the Protestant reformers, they would cry prima scriptura. So they say it has the prime place, but it has to be interpreted in the church. It came, it's a document that came from the church. 
and only the Pope and the Magisterium can rightly interpret Scripture. And what about in terms of salvation? Well, here in Canon 12 from the Council of Trent, the Council of Trent was like the Counter-Reformation in the 16th century. Uh, this is a statement it made. It said, if anyone shall say that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in the divine mercy, pardoning sin for Christ's sake, or that it is that confidence alone by which we are justified, let him be accursed or anathema, as it would have said at the time. So basically, if you say, look, we just need to have faith in Christ alone. It's by grace alone that we're justified, made right with God. Then according to this pronouncement, which still stands today, we are to be accursed. We're anathema. And so how a person is saved within the Catholic Church um, is very, very different to how we would read and understand what the Bible says about salvation. And in terms of authority, scripture alone, sola scriptura, um, would be our guide and our rules, uh, our rule for, for living uh, for the Catholic Church. No, this is just one among, alongside tradition and um, a, a church that needs to interpret it for us. So having said that, and that was very, very brief and very, very quick uh, for the sake of time tonight. I just want us to think just quickly about witnessing to Roman Catholics. In, in light of what I've, I've said, and if I could have said a lot more, you'd have realized why this verse from Matthew 11:28 was more applicable to uh, the Roman Catholics. Um, when Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. As a, as a, as a Roman Catholic, you carry a heavy burden. It's about you. It's about you meriting favor with God. It's about you earning your salvation. It's about you cooperating with the sacraments and with the Catholic Church. It's about you maintaining your salvation, if you have any hope of salvation anyway. It's a different gospel, and it's a heavy load that's been laid upon Roman Catholics. So I want us to think about what some of the things that we might say to the Roman Catholics that we come across. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, very familiar to, to many of us, says this. But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And this is the bit I want to emphasise with Roman Catholics. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want us to unpack that a little bit as I think about some of these things. I would suggest that the way that we um, witness to Roman Catholics is very much the same as we would witness to many other groups as well. And I think it has to begin with prayer. If you know Roman Catholics, you work with Roman Catholics, you have Catholics in your family, you've come from a Catholic background yourself. Whenever we want to share the gospel with anyone, we need to come before the Lord in prayer. We need to commit our conversation to the Lord in prayer. We need to seek the Holy Spirit that he would work through us and speak through us. That um, the, the, the Catholic before us would hear the voice of Christ through us. Uh, because we know unless the Holy Spirit wakes people up, unless the Holy Spirit does his work, then all that we say will just sort of fall on deaf ears. So we need to we need to pray into our witnessing to Roman Catholics. We need to be mindful of who we're talking to. Now, you might think I just mean, well, you've already told us, Tony, that's Roman Catholics. But what I mean by that is the individual Roman Catholic before you that, that you're speaking to. There are many different kinds of Roman Catholics. Jonathan mentioned some of this himself, didn't he? There are some that may be just culturally Catholic. Um, my, my sister uh, married an Irish Roman Catholic guy. He never went anywhere near the Roman Catholic Church apart from the christening of his own kids and stuff. Um, but he never went anywhere near the Roman Catholic Church. But he was adamant that the Catholic Church was the one true church. He couldn't tell you anything about it. He, he never went to anything, never went to mass or anything. He was culturally Catholic. He was born Catholic. He will die Catholic. That was his argument. So you've got those kind of Catholics. You've got those who are sort of quite nominal. Uh, then you have Catholics who are quite traditional. Maybe they, they do go to church quite often partake of the sacraments and everything, would want to uphold the, the beliefs and teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, would, would trust the Pope, 
and, uh, and their local priest. Uh, maybe that kind of person you're, you're speaking to. You, you might actually speak to a Roman Catholic who is a little bit nearer to us than you might imagine. Um, maybe they're, they say they're Catholic, um, but they disagree with a number of things within the Catholic Church. You might actually find that they're, they're quite evangelical in some of their views, that they read the Bible quite often. So you need to determine who you're speaking to uh, and not just have blanket sort of conversations or, or, or discussions with these guys. Who are you talking to? And of course, um, you will be harder or gentler depending on who you're speaking to and the way the conversation goes. But in all these scenarios, we need to build a relationship, uh, which is just an obvious thing to say with whoever we're sharing the gospel with. We, we want to love them. We want to see them as, as Christ sees them, to realize that, that Jesus died for them. And we want to build a relationship with them. And with a Roman Catholic, we might be able to do this because there will be some commonality. We, there would be certain things we, we would agree upon. I mean, a big thing in the Roman Catholic Church, for example, is um, their, their views on abortion being obviously um, abhorrent. You know, if, you, if you're going to complain about abortion, I want to be stood next to a Roman Catholic. Um, there are things that we would agree upon, uh, things to do with our Christian faith, which we, we can agree upon and we can build relationships uh, with them. Building bridges would help us then to communicate some of the more difficult things with them as we go along. Important to be aware that, that Catholics don't all believe the same things. I've already mentioned the different types of Catholics. Uh, and again, I, I, in, in my sort of um, uh, discussions with any Catholics, I find that they're, they're very wide ranging. And many Catholics I've spoken to disagree with certain beliefs and teachings within the Catholic Church. So they don't all believe the same thing. So, again, you need to ask them what they believe rather than assume what they believe. And you don't want to get straight into sort of uh, those hard discussions with them. You don't want to go straight in with the, well, do you, do you know that the Pope is the Antichrist or something like that? That's just not going to work. It's not helpful. You don't want to get into uh, angry polemics to begin with. You're building bridges. You're loving. You want to be winsome. So don't assume they all believe the same thing, but find out what they believe. Again, I think um, Jonathan alluded to this, that uh, like with, with lots of groups, um, they will use a lot of the same words, but mean something different by them. So, again, don't always assume because we're saying the same things, whether the word is grace or faith or church or whatever it might be, that we've, we're understanding things the same. Again, this comes through dialogue and through discussion um, with them. I think it's good to, to ask a question. One of the things that um, I think uh, I found useful in dialoguing with Catholics is uh, to, to talk to them about eternity and to maybe ask a question, do you think you go to heaven when you die? And see how they, how they answer that. And, and, and if they say yes, why? You know, they're going to say because I'm a good person, because I, I, I attend mass. What, what is it that makes them think they're going to go to heaven? And I think one of the things that we can use, which is a good tool, which I've used with different groups um, in, in trying to reach them with the gospel, you can use particularly Roman Catholics, is to get them to see that they're sinners in need of salvation. You know, they, they have the Ten Commandments as we have the Ten Commandments. You could ask them if they keep the commandments, go through them a little bit like um, Ray Comfort does. Get them to see, appeal to their conscience. And show them, look, you're a sinner. You need salvation. You need to be saved. And in this, you're setting them up then to, to receive a savior who's the Lord Jesus, um, not, the, not the Roman Catholic system. Sharing testimony, very good um, with Roman Catholics again. Because for, for those guys, there's never really any assurity. You know, for many of them, they just hope that they, they've done enough to maybe get to purgatory and not spend too long there. But again, within the Roman Catholic system, you know, uh, Christ and his, his atonement for sin is not enough. You've got to go to purgatory. There's got to be a bit of payment there for your sin as well. And within Catholic theology, you could be there for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Um, again, share your testimony. Let me tell you about Jesus who saved me. I realized I was a sinner in need of salvation, but I, I cried out to Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection, he paid for my sin. And we talk about Christ alone and faith alone 
in the Lord Jesus. And because of that, I have a peace. Because of that, I have assurance and I know that I'm going to be in heaven when I die. Testament is a great tool, particularly with Roman Catholics. And we need to let scripture speak to them. Again, you know, one of the issues that the reformers had is that the, the everyday Catholics in the time of the reformers just couldn't read the scripture. They were beholden to the priests and to the Catholic Church and what it said. Um, since Vatican II, a positive thing to come out of Vatican II um, was for Catholics to read the Bible. And, and I come across Catholics who read the Bible. But of course, they read it with their Roman Catholic glasses on. Um, but if we can show them scripture and point them to scripture and let them read scripture for themselves and let scripture speak, rather than us sort of interpreting scripture for them, there's times for that, of course, but just let scripture speak to them and ask them, what, what do you think these verses mean? And uh, one of the things I think is, is helpful, you're, you're aware of, of the Roman road to salvation and those verses in the book of Romans. Well, I put the Roman Catholic road to salvation there. And it may be you could go through the Roman road with um, your Catholic friend and you could show them these scriptures, but ask them, what do you, what do you think that means? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, hopefully they'll see that very clearly. We're all sinners. We're all falling short of the glory of God. At Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Yeah, we're sinners and we're going to die um, because of our sin. But what does it say? There's a gift of God, which is eternal life. And it's a free gift, which is ours in Christ Jesus by putting our faith in Jesus alone. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the Roman Catholic system is set up in such a way that, that often many Catholics know they're sinners, but they think that they've got to earn their salvation through attendance at the mass, through the sacraments, through sort of doing all the different sort of penances that may be given after confession or whatever it might be. They've got to earn their way. They've got to maintain their salvation. But the Bible tells us, actually, no, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it right. No, he died for us because we can't get it right. And Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? Ask them the question. Let them explain it to you. And then you can say, that's what I did. I just called out on the name of the Lord Jesus and he saved me. Because the Bible tells us if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That's made right with God. Again, maybe explain things to them if they don't understand it. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So I think let scripture speak to them. I'm not going to go through all these different verses here. But there's lots of great verses you will know. And I, and I can send you more of these afterwards if you would like. Which just again, just point out how we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all by grace alone. It, it's not about works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast and so we point them to scripture if if you can get close enough to a roman catholic that you can dialogue with them that you can build bridges with them that they're willing to look at the bible with you and let the word of god speak to them and convert them and i sort of want to say this as well as uh, just before i interview vinnie that I think it's important as well when people are coming from a, a, a church like the Roman Catholic Church, where there's a big emphasis on uh, the gathering together for sacraments, that th there's an opportunity here for us, again, to maybe invite our Catholic friend to church. Um, that is when we come out of lockdown, of course. But you can invite your Catholic friend to the church because it might seem to our Catholic friends when we're talking through the Roman road with them and everything. It's all about what God's done for me as an individual. And it's a very individual thing where the Catholic is a is more of a collective thing. Um, we need to show that we have a, an ecclesiology as well, that, you know, a doctrine of the church that we gather as a redeemed people. And there we have the Lord's Supper. 
that we, we it's not that we don't you know have the lord's supper we have it we remember what christ has done for us and so maybe through an invitation to the church where they'll meet other believers and they'll realize that actually we don't just go to things and then live how we want or at least we shouldn't do but this following jesus impacts our whole way of thinking our whole life and we need to let our roman catholic friends see that so much more i could have shared i'm sorry that that had to be so quick but i want to talk to vinnie um i'll just share that verse there jude uh one to three beloved i appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints if the catholic church have a different gospel one that can't save ultimately we need to contend earnestly for the faith that can save and talk to them about the lord jesus anyway let me stop sharing my screen and let's bring vinnie on so he can have a chat with us vinnie it's great to have you with us tonight brother thank you very much and thank you for your lecture <laughs> yeah i hope it wasn't too much of a lecture but there you go <laughs> uh, that's the teacher in me sadly but vinnie um Tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your upbringing. Well, my mum and dad come from the west of Ireland. So my mother was born in Castlebar County, Mayo, and my dad was born in Sligo. That's the county just a bit further up. And I have about 20 or 30 cousins dotted around Ireland, mainly on the west coast. And my dad came to England for work, uh, met my mother in England, married, and they had 12 children, and I'm number nine. Wow. 12 children. So are you all named after the disciples? Uh, well. Obviously not, because you're, you're Vincent. <laughs> and my mother told me just a few months before she died, she was going to call me Porrick. But I'll stick with Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> Irish names, they're, they're always fun. So brought up in, in, in so an, an Irish Catholic family. So um, how, how Catholic were your family? Were they incredibly Catholic? Were they religiously Catholic? Well, um, some of them sort of further afield were because um, one or two of them were priests. And when I was at school, they were sort of encouraging me to think about being a priest. But basically, we believed it was good to be good. But don't ask us why it was good to be good. We just thought it was good to be good. And for me, I used to go to six o'clock mass with my mum and my brother every Sunday. And if you wanted to have your sins forgiven, you had to go and see the priest on Friday evening or Saturday evening about half past six or seven o'clock. And you go into a little booth, a confessional. And my priest, one was called Father Lee, the other one's called Father Arkwright. And you had to tell him what you'd done. So you'd rhyme off the things that you'd done. And then he'd give you something like to our fathers to say them a prayers or he'd give you three glory bees, that's another Catholic prayer, and then he'd give you maybe two Hail Marys. And I forced myself to say these in these cold pews outside that booth, and then I ran outside thinking, number one, great, I can go back to the world of football now, which I really enjoy, and two, when I go to Mass tomorrow, it'll be more interesting, because I'll go to the front and do the communion bit, rather than mm. sit. So that was the sort of upbringing I had, yeah. And did you... When, when you went to confess, did you, I mean, did you confess everything? Or, or were there certain things that you thought, no, I'm not going to confess that? No, no. There were things that you did that you stopped at. And yeah. I used to sit there thinking, what else have I done? So I'd make a few things up as well. Because it was the fact that you actually attended, um, that you thought, you know, that was okay. But you didn't really think much into it. And sometimes when, to, when you went along to the church service, the mass, it was in Latin. Um, well, I can hardly speak English some days. So, you know, Latin was way beyond me. Wow. So, again, what, what do Catholic people think about the priest? Well, they revere the priest because, you see, in Catholicism, he's the way that you get your sins forgiven. Um, uh, but... When you study the scriptures, you find that all priests have got to be from a certain family mm. and a certain tribe. The Levites and the tribe is the tribe, and they've got to be from the line of Aaron. So really, just ask a priest if you meet one today, uh, what tribe are you from? So it's very, very difficult to be a Gentile priest. Wow. 
Interesting, yeah. I wanted to ask that question because uh, a number of years ago I used to work at an undertaker's and uh, we, we went to do a funeral at a Catholic church and it was a Sunday afternoon. I remember it really clearly. It was like 4.30, a requiem mass. We could not find the priest anywhere. He just the, the, the family were waiting, we were all waiting. He turned up about 20 minutes late, ran up the street. He'd been watching Man United play. He, he was wearing red, white, and black robes, and he was going, he was jumping up and down, shouting, "We won, we won, we won!" And the family were just like, "Father, make it's okay, it's great." Not, not didn't bat an eyelid that he was late, that he let them down. Mm. It was just like, you know, just accepted yeah. him. Interesting. Mm. So you mentioned Vinnie. Um, obviously, you brought up in in, in uh, that Irish Catholic family, going to church a little bit, but you were really into sport. Which sport particularly were you into? Well, because I had lots of brothers who were good at sports, it was obvious I was going to be dragged that way. And I lived next to a huge field, which became my sort of imaginationary arena. And for hours and hours and hours, I played football on there with lots of people, but often, you know, 10, 12 hours a day by myself. Because I wanted to go into professional football and that meant in my teenage years, I went to several football clubs. So that was big in my life, yeah. And which football clubs did you go to? I went to a horrible one called Bradford City. Where do you live, Tony? <laughs> um, so I was on, Bradford. And then I went to Burnley. And then at 17, I thought my chances of doing anything in football had gone until a scout came to watch me, but he didn't tell me he was a scout. He told me he was the centre-halves granddad but that was a trick so I wasn't there wasn't pressure put on me while I was playing and then afterwards he said I'm from Manchester City and we'd like you to come down so at 17 I ended up at Main Road Manchester uh, but I did follow like your priest earlier I did follow United so it's a bit tricky at times mm. but um, that was it but what was happening inside Tony was you see whether you're a Protestant or a Mormon or a Catholic or whatever you are if you get the second birth, which Jesus talks about, you enter the kingdom of heaven. So for me, I was searching for something. And I was particularly searching because at the age of 14, a friend of mine was killed in a car crash. In fact, it was a motorbike and a car. And Simon Spencer, his name, on his birthday, was killed at the age of 17. And that got me thinking about the big question in life. And it was, what if that had been me? And could I be certain that when I leave planet Earth, I would be in heaven. But nobody gave me any answers. And I remember sitting in the Catholic church on Christmas Eve at midnight mass thinking, I'm frightened here because if there is a God and there is an afterlife, I do not know that I'm going to be safe. Mm. And I knew in my life I'd done things wrong on the quiet, as most people do. And I knew there was heaven, you know, and I certainly won't go in there. And Jesus did speak of hell. And I knew that I'd done enough to put myself there. Mm-hmm. So my dream of being a footballer was, if you like, ongoing, but I found it empty because when I arrived at playing good football, the emptiness was there and I listened to the players. I mean, these are top players that you saw a match of the day and skipper of England and Scotland were in the team. And, and, and I could see an emptiness, even though it was the dream. And at the same time, I wanted to know was I right with a God? And I thought you had to be a good boy. Mm. And I never knew. In fact, it was Philomena, my sister, who became a Christian second in the family. She said to me, Vinnie, the gift of God is eternal life. And I said, that, you, that's too good to be true. And she said, mm. it's true. It's a gift. You don't earn it. She said, it's yours. And you come to a point of receiving it. So I couldn't, Tony, I just couldn't get it. And for three years, I was searching that God might forgive me. Uh, I'd passed some A-levels and I went off to train as a sports teacher. And I was now 19 and at this college at uh, a place called Padgate near Warrington. I was on a campus for three years. And what led to me becoming a Christian and this new birth was when you did, I did PE in ceramics. And um, when, when I went to my PE lecture for swimming, we had to go on a bus and come back on this bus. And as we came back on the bus and turned into the campus I noticed in somebody's house there was a bible verse and it said John 14 verse 6 I am the way the truth the life 
And I thought that man who lives there must be a Christian. So I'm going to go and knock on his door and ask him, is he like my sisters who become Christians? Yeah. So I went up to talk to a man. His name was Bob and he happened to be a builder. So that was quite a revelation. <laughs> and I said, look, I said, are you Christians? And he said, yes, we've got a youth meeting Sunday night. Come. So I thought, OK, I'll turn up Sunday night about 8.15, he told me. So I turned up and I went to this place. And when I went into the house, two things happened. The first thing, I was startled at all these young people singing with such gusto, particularly a girl called Alison. And she was singing, remember not the sins of my youth. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And I thought, why are these people singing? My church, we don't sing like this. And, and, and that struck me. They had something. And I'm thinking, what have they got? And then the second thing happened. And, um, really, they were a bit wacky. And they started putting hands on people. And they started falling on the floor. So this is really true. I decided to tell them a lie to get out of there. So I thought, these are nutters. So what I will do is I said, every Sunday night, I must ring my mum. Well, I'd not run my mum for months. But I told them that and I said, I've got to go. So now it's about 20 past nine, half past nine at night. And I walked up Fernhead Lane, which is the Learn Back to College. And I remember saying to myself, Vinny, put this totally out of your head. There's no God. Everybody else on this campus is not thinking like you're thinking. Just go and enjoy your life. So I headed to the basketball court, which was empty in the gym. And the lads had all gone out for a pub crawl that night. So I was lonely and I was by myself. Went back to my hall of residence and I went to see my mate Dave, who lived next, next floor. And he said, what's up with you? And what was happening is inside there was real turmoil because I was thinking, I want God to forgive me, but these Christians I've just met are a bit strange, so I don't want to be in that department. So what happened was um, I had a quick cup of tea, went back to my room, and about 10 o'clock at night, a conviction of sin came over me. And I began to think, Vinny, you've just walked out on Jesus Christ, so your chance of forgiveness is gone, and there is a hell, and you're going there. And I was utterly shaken inside. I tried to run. I couldn't get this turmoil out of my mind. Inside the bottom of my stomach, it was like a moving, tempestuous sea. I, I didn't know where to put myself. My sister who lived in Leeds, Philomena. She'd sent me a poster, and it was one of those August posters, and it was on my wall. And I looked across the room, and it just said, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. I sat on the edge of the bed and I just screamed. But it wasn't volume. It was three years of turmoil. God, if you're here and you can forgive me, forgive me. Now, I didn't see anything. Mm. But incredibly, through the ceiling just came this invisible peace. It was like a person, it just, this person came and just came into my heart. And all this turmoil at the bottom of my heart, it just went. It left me. And I thought, I've been accepted by God because this Jesus is in my life. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, and I looked at the poster, I thought, I can't understand this. And I thought, yes, that's the peace of God. I won't understand it. Wow. So that was the night where Jesus came to reveal himself and live in my life. And it was as though he went into my heart and I went into him. So it's like a crossover. So that was the wow. night. But the last thing to say to you, Tony, is in the Catholic Church, you, because it's based on merit, you can't do enough to get yourself to heaven. So you're constantly on this treadmill of trying to be good and please God. And so I didn't have any assurance. And Angela said to me, Vinny, pray to God that he would give you the blessing of assurance. So I said, God, if you're really there and you've really worked in my life, please make me certain. And a man whose name was Henry Hollanders from Burnley, Lancashire, he was the Baptist minister of Enoch Baptist Church. He sent me a letter that week and it was on pink paper, black ink. And at the end, he just put your experiences just like that of John Bunyan. Well, I didn't know who he was. I thought he played left back for Arsenal. <laughs> but it, then he wrote John 6:37, And I looked that up and it said, all the father gives me will come to me. 
and the one who comes to me I'll never turn away. And then he put in the end, have you come to Jesus, Vincent? And I knew I'd done that on that Sunday night. And then I read, and the one who comes to me, I will never turn away. So that was the very, very source of my assurance that I was in. And that was probably 37 years ago. And I've never doubted to this day. Wow. Vinny, that's amazing. Yeah, let me just ask you one or two things. Just um, maybe answer really quickly and then we'll move on to questions. But how did your family react to you sort of leaving Catholicism and and, and becoming a follower of Jesus? Well, it wasn't a case of me weighing it all up and thinking, this teaching is totally up the creek. I'm going to run a mile from it. It was a case I, I just desired truth. So I went to hear that man preach, that Burnley preacher, and he was just preaching the Bible, and I just got involved in the Baptist church, listening to it. And the second thing is uh, Angela, Philomena, Carmel, and Kathleen all started going to that church, so it was easy for me. Yeah. Because there was no real deep commitment to Catholicism. In fact, if you go to Ireland, if the men in the house turn up at Mass and have a cigarette in the graveyard but never entered the building they'll tell you they've been to mass yeah never even been in yeah so they just sort of go through a sort of i don't understand it a sort of trip out and then come home saying they've been to mass so Mm -hmm. because because that was you know in place i I just got on with it and then i was away at university and i was having to stand up and analyze really what i thought about what i believed in wow Thank you so much. There's so many things I want to ask you, but maybe they'll come through the questions and then you can ask, answer them. Okay. okay. Um, so okay. let's go to questions. Any questions you might have for, for myself or Vinny on this particular topic? Thanks very much. Um, I'm going to read one question. It's rather long, so be bear with me. I am from an Irish Catholic background. Amen. And they couldn't return to me. I am a Vatican Council to Catholic Trent isn't where we are at now. What parts of the Vatican Council II could you point out to show the difference? The difference is still around between the main body and the church. Wow, that's quite a question, isn't it? Uh, I, I think um, if, if this person, whoever it is, would like to leave an email address, I'm happily sort of send things and, and sort of dialogue um, with them. The point I would want to make is that if there are things that were said at Trent that was dogmatized, that the Catholic Church cannot go back on. And so what you have within the Catholic Church, and Vinnie might want to give an answer to this as well, what you have is you might have an appearance of softening. You, you might have, like I said, no longer no longer we heretics, but, but separated brethren. There, there may be an appearance of softening, an appearance of change, but those things which are as Catholic dogma still remain and will always remain. And so therefore Vatican II did some good and brought out certain things, but it didn't change anything that previously been dogmatized. But if this person would love to um, send, give their email address, um, I'm happy to dialogue. Vinny, what, have you got anything you'd like to say about that? Yeah, just very quickly. First of all, uh, a million thanks for that insight and that question. Um, there's a book I've got with me which I read to my mother and it's the testimony of 50 Catholic priests I've also got 24 nuns testimony and I must have read this 10 times to my mother she died on Christmas Eve but she died forgiven and it's got a terrible title but it's it's called uh, Far From Rome Near to God I don't like the title I'd sooner it just be called Near to God but in there you read of priests And they say, we did 12 years of seminary and not 12 hours of Bible. So I'd encourage you to get that book and look at the, if you like, the professional Catholic people and see how they came to a point where they realized that forgiveness was free. You don't have to earn it. And the finished sacrifice of Jesus at the cross was finished. And there's no chance or need for a repeated sacrifice. If I pass my driving test and you say, where are you going, Vinny? And I say, I'm going to take my test again. They'll say, well, your first one obviously didn't count. Well, if God's accepted me by the finished work of Calvary, I don't go back and ask to be accepted again. 
once it's done, it is done it. It is finished. Amen. And and so I'm just saying, if you haven't got assurance yourself, get that book, think it through for yourself and come to your own conclusion. Thanks, Vinny. Another question here. I live in Italy, but it can happen anywhere. And when I share the gospel with Catholics, I often get the reaction. Yes, that's what I believe, too. How can I respond to that? That's, that's again, a really good question. And, and that's a common sort of occurrence, not just with Catholics, but uh, I had Mormons in my head when you were when you, you said that a moment ago, Phyllis. Um, yeah, I think, again, you need to sort of unpack what people believe, really. And, um, you know, I think, you know, again, if this person, if it's a person you're just meeting on the street or whether it's a person you can have meaningful dialogue with uh, will determine how you will go down, uh, which road you will go down to. For, for discussion but what I'd want to say is you know sort of get them to look at what the Bible says um, about these particular topics you know when they say well I, I agree or I believe the same show them get them to, to unpack what the Catholic Church really believes about these things and compare the Catholic teaching with what the Bible teaches and get them to see that for themselves but I think many would, would, would want to say well yeah we just believe the same stuff really but if you really honestly look at it you can see that there's vast differences in, in what's being taught. Vinnie, what would you would you say from more practical? Well, I, I simply say to uh, the Catholic people, often I just say, look, can I ask you, do you know you're going to heaven? Mm. And they've got to say yes, no, or don't know. So if they say yes, I simply say, on what basis? Mm. If they say no, I tell them about the epistle of John. These things are written that you might know that you have mm. eternal life. And if they're not sure, I'd say there's great news for you. You can be certain. Mm. Look to Christ. Yeah. So I, because it's based on merit and effort, you can't be certain. Can you, how, how do you know how many good things you've got to do to wipe away, you know, the swear word that you last uh, said last week? Mm. You, you don't know. Nobody has a scale. So you, you're stuck. But just look to the finished sacrifice of Christ and you'll see it. That's what I was told. Mm. Uh, do you mind if I come in? Um, yeah, go for it. It's going back one question. Sorry, it's taken a while to get the, the access. Um, so going back one question, I think the key thing is the doctrine of transubstantiation. Um, and, and you've referred to it sort of in a, when, you, when you use the phrase the finished work of Christ. So the, the, the Protestant, if you I don't like that term, but we'll call it the, the Protestant says, Look, the Bible teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, he died once and for all. It's a final sacrifice. Hebrews chapter nine and Hebrews chapter 10 say that very clearly. But the doctrine of the mass, which is called the, the, sacrifice, the sacrifice of the mass, um, says that Jesus is continually dying for sin. So every time they take the wafer or the wine, it's a fresh sacrifice. But the Protestant says, no, he died once and for all. It's a finished work. So we're relying on that. Now, um, Vatican and the councils have never changed that. But it's the key thing because then you get the priesthood, you get altars, etc. But uh, the Bible teaching is very clear. He died once and for all and the work is finished. I lost you all. No, no, your, you your screen froze, but we've got the words. Thank you. Oh, dear, okay. <laughs> and another question to Tony. How do we respond to the claim by Catholics that the Catholic Church is based on the original foundation of Christianity, vis-a-vis -vis Peter, Matthew 16, 18? Hmm. Yeah, again, I think I had to, I had to answer that question in, in, in sort of like a moment's time. But I think, again, you know, you've sort of got to look at um, what's what's being said there. Again, you know, from a from a Protestant, don't want to use that word, sort of point of view, what's not happening in Matthew 16 is Jesus saying that the church is going to be built upon Peter, the rock. You know, they tend to say, well, the, the, the name for Peter was the rock and upon this rock I'll build my church. But actually, you know, what's being what, what's being built upon there is Peter's words his statement about who Christ is not upon Peter himself and I think there's lots of holes in the Catholic belief that you know they trace the, the, themselves all the way back to to um, to Peter there an apostolic succession 
But again, I think, you know, looking at some good commentaries on this, um, look, at, look at what the Catholics say, look at what the Protestants say as well. But I think there's good reasons for us to sort of show that actually it's not true what they say, that they've got this sort of lineage all the way back um, to Peter. Vinnie, would you like to comment on that? No, I think that's right. The statement that Peter said was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the very next verse, just a bit further down, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's quite a powerful contrast, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and and so I, I think we've got to take these things apart. They're great questions, but we've got to look into them for ourselves. And we don't want to give the impression it's sort of us and them. Mm. You know, God loves Catholics, God loves Protestants. And we want all to come to the truth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I think as well that, you know, it, yeah, you have to do a bit of digging to look at, at the history of the Catholic Church and stuff like that. A lot of the claims that the Catholic Church make um, seem reasonable, but you have to dig and look at, at what's being said. And, uh, and, you know, so, for example, that thing quite early on I mentioned about Francis Chan. Say, mm. well, I didn't realize that for 1500 years, the, the, the church had always, all the church had believed that it was literally the body and blood of Christ. That statement's not true. Mm. It's not true. But you get to dig and look into the early church fathers and, and, and things like that to find answers. Um, just going back to Roger's point, which is a super one, mm. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you have a service for somebody who's died and the body is lost or they're not there, it's a remembrance service. Mm. It's a, not a reenactment service. He didn't say do this. I'm reenacting it. Yeah. So remembrance service means the person is not there. But I found the Catholic church taught that jesus was present in the wine and the wafer mm. but that's contradictory and mm. um, on that Vinny, um i agree with what you've just said um the roman catholics say go back go to that verse you know where jesus said this is my body and this is my blood but of course jesus also said i am the vine Clearly, it wasn't a vine. It was a pictorial thing. I'm the door. I'm the bread, etc. And it's as if I showed you a photo, a piece of paper with a photo of, of you, Vinny, and said, look, this is Vinny. And we use that expression. But that isn't Vinny. We use the expression this is to mean this is my picture. It's a very common way of doing things. And when Jesus said, this is my body, he didn't mean that that bread would actually become his body or this is my blood. This will actually, he said, no, 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 this is a picture of just as in a similar way, as I said, I'm the vine, etc. It meant I'm a picture. He's a picture of. Thank you. And um, I've had a, uh, a question in from one of our um, associates here. My Roman Catholic flatmate has said that the Bible is corrupted because it was written by men. So how can I convince her that it has authority and start reading it with her? Sounds like a question for you, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, well, it was it was men. We, we read in, in actually in the book of Peter um, that this was men who were inspired by God. And I, I liken the Bible to um, the Lord Jesus himself. He was he was born fully of God but he was born of a human being as well. Um, and, and the Bible yet absolutely come to us through human beings, but fully of God as well. So you get human style, but it is absolutely the word of God, just as you get a human being in Jesus, but he was fully God. And they can normally go along with that. Mm. But the secret is just read it. You'll soon yeah. find the contradictions, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, God, God authenticates his own word. When we start to read, he shows us the truth of it, doesn't he? Mm. Do you think as well that there's something in that question from, from this Roman Catholic sort of housemate, uh, just how they view the Bible? There's, there's what the Roman Catholic Church say officially, but then how it's viewed by the ordinary, everyday sort of Catholic is different, isn't it? So uh, the same example I would I would think about Mary. So they'll say, look, you know, you don't worship Mary, you venerate Mary. You know, you, you, you worship belongs to God alone. But but clearly there are there are there are Catholics who are bordering on worshiping her, if, if not worshiping her. So it doesn't matter what what it says in the official sort of catechism, as it were. 
mm. how it's communicated and how it's lived out out there amongst the normal folk is, is something different. Tony, I would say that we, we live in the context that we're in and each person's mind now is taught to question everything. Mm. You know, and fake news means you can throw that at anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So if that is the case, people naturally turn up with a sceptical view of a book. Mm. But the secret is expose them to the book, read it for yourself. Yeah. God is big enough to speak to you, ask him to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think as well, um I I agree with all that both of you have said. This you know, we love them, we care for them, etc. But the the most loving thing might be gently lovingly to challenge them as to look are you believing something that's wrong it's very interesting if i may quickly united beach missions worked in southern ireland for many years and never saw any fruit they then talked to a minister in dublin who'd seen many roman catholics come to saving faith in christ and they said you know are we doing something wrong and he said you need to get close to them so that then you can start to challenge them and say now look you believe this, but actually this is what the Bible said. He said it's a painful thing, but they you have to deconstruct so that you can construct. And it's a, I find that a very hard thing. You don't want to hurt somebody, but you do want them to be saved, don't you? And so in a loving, gentle way to, to get close and then lovingly challenge and show them, as, as Vinny's been stressing, Take them to the book, maybe go through the word one to one, which is going through John's gospel one by one. If, if you can go through or give them a John's gospel and ask, mm. ask them to read it. OK, thank you, Phyllis. And thank you, Tony. And thank you, Vinny. And thank you, Roger, as well. Lots to think about there. Uh, as Phyllis said, uh, we are finishing officially now, but we'll send you off to breakout groups in a moment. Um, and then you can pray there. And then if you want to stay around and come back, we'll be here until 10. So come and join us and we can have more uh, discussion. But uh, thank you very much.